You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So um, <clears throat> a couple things I want to look at. First of all, let's talk about Travis Fulgham, who um, I believe, according to Packers Twitter, is, um, well, he's a breakout star. Um, he was here, and then he left and went to the Eagles and became one of the top wide receivers in the entire NFL. Um for some reason, got cut, went to a new team, got cut again, and and we got him. And so, boom, done deal. New wide receiver one, game over. Sorry, NFL, just hand us the the, the trophy. In reality, none of that is true. <laughs> um, you know how it is sometimes with fans getting a little silly. Um, Travis Fulgham was here for a brief time, didn't impress anyone, left, went to the Eagles, had like four really impressive games or something that accounted for a bunch of yards. So it was it was a very brief stint of like, dang, this guy caught a bunch of passes for a bunch of yards. And then, you know, vanished again. And then got cut and whatever. What. The point is, we didn't bring him in because he's a superstar with a bunch of potential. Do you want to know why we brought him in? I'll tell you right now. We don't have any wide receivers. We have a, a game coming up and we don't have enough wide receivers. Lazard is not playing. Sammy Watkins is not playing. Randall Cobb is not playing. Christian Watson is not playing. How do I know? Because we brought in Travis Fulgham. I mean, he might, but it's a good indication that, you know, he won't. Malik Taylor is gone now, so he's not playing. Danny Davis is injured and won't be playing. Six wide receivers out of 11, more than half, are not going to be playing. We got Romeo Dobbs, Amari Rogers, Juwan Winfrey, Samori Ture, and Ishmael Hyman. That's it. For the same reason we brought in Dexter Williams, you know, no Jones, no Dylan, no Kylan. We brought in Dexter just because we needed another body, and we wanted a guy that has some familiarity with our offense so that he's not just completely lost when we go out, tell him, go out there, and then try to run a play, and he's like, I don't know that play. Travis Fulgham's been here. He understands the offense, so we can just be like, all right, go out there and run this route, and he's like, all right, I think I remember that, kind of. That's it. That's the whole thing. So relax, calm down. Not everybody that graces our presence is the next great coming of Jerry Rice. He's a guy who's done almost nothing in his career who is here to be a placeholder. Not trying to be mean to the guy, but it's just the reality. So let's <sighs> take a breath. No, watch. Travis Fulgham's going to have 114 yards and two touchdowns in this game. And everyone's going to be like, yeah, I told you, you're an idiot. You know what you're talking about. And guess what? He's going to get caught. Although I am holding out hope that Dexter still makes it, so I guess I'll hold out hope for Travis Fulgham as well. You never know. You kind of know, but you never know. Anyways, I wanted to get that out of the way so we can, you know, 
just understand things properly. But more interestingly than that, um, big shout out to Chicago Bears Twitter for um, being kind of ridiculous, for making me think through a couple things. Back in 2018, 2019, if you remember back in 2018, the just, just to refresh our memory of how things used to be, Chicago Bears defense was one of the best, and I had said this, one of the best we've seen, like, you know, I don't necessarily want to say ever, but let's just say in my lifetime. Up there with like Legion of Boom, it, it was insanely good. Crazy good. And the Packers defense in 2018 was not. And this little old podcaster had the audacity, the audacity to claim that the Packers would have a better pass rush, not just then the Bears, but in the entire NFC North. And I was mocked and ridiculed, and understandably so, because what most people do is they look at last year and they simply say, you're an idiot. Packers defense bad, Bears defense good, you're an idiot. But it was actually a very simple equation. I can't see the future, I can just do basic math. And again, I know everybody's all, all PFF is stupid, you shouldn't, uh, duh, 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 duh. The only reason I've ever been able to see into the future and see things that other people didn't see coming is because I'm just looking at basic information. And obviously things can be different. You never know who's going to have an up year or a down year or a breakout year or an injury year or whatever. You never know. But you can look at some basic information. And all I did, because remember in 2019, we brought in new guys. We brought in Preston and Zadarius who hadn't been here before. And so I looked at who was remaining in Chicago, who was remaining in Green Bay, Minnesota, Detroit. And I just looked at their pressure rates. And I said, okay, you got Kenny. You got, I don't even remember who else was all here. I guess it would be what? Kenny, Lowry, Montrevious Adams, Tyler Lancaster, Kingsley Kiki, that, that crew with Preston and Zedarius. And I just looked at their pressure rates. And I compared that to the Bears and the Lions and the Vikings. And guess who came out on top? It was the Packers. Based on what Zedarius did in Baltimore, based on what Preston did in Washington, and based on what guys like Kenny and Dean had done here in Green Bay, then compared that to everybody else, and we had a higher rate. So, again, I'm not looking into a crystal ball. I'm doing basic mathematics, and I ended up being correct. 2019 Green Bay Packers were far superior in terms of pass rush than anybody else. Probably, I mean, close to anyone else in the NFL, based on Zadarius Smith alone, if not if not that, certainly in the NFC North. And I had also looked at the Chicago Bears and said that when you look at the massive spikes that they've had, you, you have to assume some level of regression, and that also happened. But even if there wasn't, the Packers were still ahead. So anyways, the point is, kind of had set that aside, that was a long time ago, whatever, and, and now you've got Bears fans kind of chirping about their defense and how great their defense is going to be, and they just keep saying silly things, and I thought, you know what? Let's take the emotion out of it, and let's just do some basic math and see how this goes. And so very simply, because I know some run a 3-4, some run a 4-3, but let's just look at it in terms of two edge rushers, two defensive tackles. And let's look at what the pressure rates are based on what they did last year. Seems simple enough. Now, JJ had made some comment on Twitter that he doesn't like pass rush win rate because he assumes that there's some kind of a difference between that and whatever, but I, I don't necessarily see that. There's a general correlation between pass rush win rate and pressure rate, and it's just one less step in terms of me having to calculate it. But just for the sake of it, let's let's do both, I guess. So I've got laid out for all four teams, the top two pass rushers, top two defensive tackles, in terms of pass rush, looking at win rate, 
and pressure percentage. Win rate is how many times you beat the guy across from you. Pressure percentage is how many times when the quarterback throws the ball are you able to affect the quarterback. Hits, hurries, sacks. So for the Packers, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith. It's not Jaron Reed, it's Dean Lowry, and it's not even close, don't argue with me. For the Vikings, Zadarius, Daniil, Watts, and Phillips. For the Bears, it's Blackson and Jones at defensive tackle with Gibson and Quinn as pass rushers. This is how our lads has it set up as the top two. Maybe Al-Kadin Muhammad ends up being one of the top guys, I don't know. Maybe Quinn gets traded, doesn't matter. This is what it is as of right now. A lot of things can change from each and every team, and honestly, it doesn't make that big of a difference. And for Detroit, is the hardest because you have Aiden Hutchinson, along with Harris on the outside, and then McNeil and Brockers on the inside, who are just pathetic as pass rushers. It's, it's really bad. But for Hutchinson, I just put him at a reasonable number, kind of right where Harris is. It's not up with the top of the top, but it's above sort of the... It's actually right where Harris is, although Harris is actually surprisingly quite high. Harris being Charles Harris, the, the Lions' second pass rusher. Here are the results of this, and I just added them up. It's cumulative. If you look at pressure rates, pressure percentages, what percentage of the time do these guys affect the quarterback when they're trying to affect the quarterback? In last place is the Detroit Lions, 31.1%. Again, largely because of McNeil and Brockers, who are at 5.5% and 2% from Brockers, which I don't know if I've ever seen anything that bad before. Next is the Bears at 37.7%. Then it's Minnesota at 38.8%. Then it's Green Bay at 53.6%. It's really, really not even close. So 31, 37, 38, 53. Would you like to know why? Well, the number one edge is Rashawn Gary. The number two edge is Preston Smith. (laughs) Now, Bears fans aren't going to like that very much. I'm sure Vikings fans aren't going to like that either. But that's the reality of 2021. I did have to go back to 2020 for Zadarius Smith, but even that is not very flattering. Although everybody thinks Zadarius had a great year in 2020, he did not. It was only 9.3%. It wasn't even 10%. If you look at win rate, a little bit different, but mostly the exact same. It's in the same order. Detroit, 44.9. Then it's Minnesota at 48.8. Then it's, um, excuse me, then it's Chicago at 48.8. Then it's Minnesota at uh, 57.3. Then it's Green Bay at 73.1. Oh, by the way, I forgot to finish that. Rashawn and Preston are number one and number two edge rushers. As far as the defensive tackles, Kenny Clark is number one at 12.2. Dean Lowry is number two at 9.9. So number one and number two pass rushers are Packers. Number one and number two pass rushers uh, for defensive tackles are Packers. Based on last year's numbers, based on win rate, again, Detroit 44 then Chicago 48, then Minnesota 57, then the Packers 73. Based on win rate, it's similar, but a little bit different. Rashawn is by far number one, then it's Daniil, then it's Preston. For defensive tackles, Kenny is still number one, Dean is still number two. So the only real difference, when you look at win percentage for the Packers, it's Rashawn number one, Preston number two, Kenny number one, Dean number two. When you look at win rate, it's Rashawn number one, Preston number three, Kenny number one, D number two. So do I think that what we're seeing in camp is um, real? Yes. Not only do I think it's real, but I think it's potentially going to be even more lethal than we've seen in the past. Now, maybe Rashawn takes a step back and maybe Preston takes a step back because Rashawn had a once in a career type season and Preston had probably his best season of his career. 
However, Kenny was at only 12% pressure rate, which is normal for Kenny. Dean was at 10%, which is not wildly crazy. It's just everyone else kind of sucks. But there are a lot of positives that there's reason to believe in, in, um, in the changes. For example, Jaron Reed, who has not really had a good career as a pass rusher, is one of the more promising players in training camp. Now, yes, it's just training camp, but the Packers have this weird thing where every year they bring guys in, Gutekunst bring guys in, and they blow expectations out of the water. Zadarius and Preston, by the way, are examples of that, specifically Zadarius Smith. Adrian Amos, I don't think necessarily exceeded expectations. He's just been what he's always been, which is a great safety, but still a phenomenal pickup. Obviously, Devondre Campbell never had a really good year in his entire career, comes over here as one of the top linebackers in football. Razul Douglas, never really been that great of a corner, comes over here and dominates as a corner. So it's kind of a wait and see, but so far he's been one of the more impressive guys. On top of that, TJ Slayton has been an absolute freak all through training camp and is currently sitting at number two in all of pass rushers in win rate. And no, it's not because win rate is weird. Slayton had a 90.1 pass rush grade, along with a 27.2 pressure rate. So they all agree across the board that he was a freak. All the numbers, pass rush productivity, which weights sacks a little bit more, which TJ Slayton didn't have any, but still had him in the top 10. He was ninth in pass rush productivity. So every metric you could possibly look at for him, he was dominant. And again, it's just one game, but the, the question is, has this been a consistent thing throughout camp? And the defensive tackles, the defensive lines beating up on every single person, and not just the Green Bay Packers consistently, but the Saints consistently and the 49ers consistently, we've seen it over and over and over and over again. And on top of all of that, we have Kenny, we have Dean, who I assume to at least stay where they are. You have Jaron Reed, who seems to be maybe that next, I mean, I don't want to say Zadarius, but guy that comes in and, and exceeds expectations. You have TJ Slayton seemingly taking a pretty sizable second-year leap. And we drafted Devontae Wyatt, who is one of the freakiest human beings to ever be drafted. Ever. Doesn't necessarily mean great pass rusher, but when you're DT5, I think you'll manage. By the way, it's not just them. It's the um, pass rushers as well. Tipa Nalii has been on some really weird stuff lately. I don't know where the heck he came from, but he right now ranks, I mean, based on his preseason grades in terms of win rate, 33rd out of 187 pass rushers. Jonathan Garvin is tied for 5th out of 187 pass rushers. He didn't register a pressure, which again is kind of why I like win rate. All we're doing is zooming out, right? Sacks are the most important thing. There's no question about that, but it doesn't give you a full picture. It doesn't tell you anything, right? Aiden Hutchinson had um, one pressure, no sacks. What did we learn? Nothing. But if you had 10 opportunities, how many of those 10 did you win? You were were just continually zooming out. Now, every time you zoom out, it has less value. A sack is more important than a hit, which is more important than a pressure, which is more important than a win. So you're doing, we're getting a much clearer picture, but we're also diminishing the value a little bit. But it's of, I'm of the opinion that give me the guy that wins and the sacks will follow. That's not always the case, but generally speaking, give me the guy that's going to beat the guy across from him, the guy that's going to be most disruptive, because that's going to translate in a lot of different ways. It's you're, you're more dominant as a run defender and everything else. If I had a, a picture of a bunch of guys and, you know, they had, 70 reps or whatever, and one guy had like five sacks, but really wasn't winning consistently, just got a bunch of sacks, and one guy had a bunch of wins and didn't have any sacks, I'm going to take the guy with a bunch of wins. Because sacks, just like a lot of things, can be fluky, like interception. They can kind of come in bunches, you can get some handed to you, you can get some schemed open to you. Some of the defensive schemes kind of work in the favor of some of these guys, where if they went to another team, it's not going to work. Give me the guy that's going to beat the guy across from them, period. 
Now, I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of weird thing where some guys just don't get sacks, right? Maybe, you know, even defensive tackles, they probably have a much higher win rate to sack or lower win rate to sack ratio than, than some of these pass rushers because they're bigger and slower and probably can't finish quite as often. Maybe, I don't know, I'm just speculating. I'm saying there, there, there can be a difference to where sacks kind of mean something. But um, yeah, how, how do you gauge any information from limited opportunities in which Jonathan Garvin doesn't get any pressure? You look at it and say, well, he had a zero pressure rate. He had a bad day. Well, he had a 40% win rate and a 73 overall pass rush grade. How is that possible? Because we're not just focusing on the statistics. I want to know what did he do. I want as much information as possible. Now, the easiest thing would be to just watch it, especially if you're somebody like Sam Holman or, or Coach Hahn and you want to just watch it. That would be the most valuable thing. But I can't watch 7,000 players across the NFL. And even if I did, I don't know that I would trust my opinion over what PFF is looking at. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I look at it and go, mm, I'm sorry, I'm going to disagree. And that's great in that moment. But for what we're doing here, this is what I'm looking at. So Bears fans can chirp all they want. One of their favorite things that they love to do is to say that you can't look at Khalil Mack because he didn't play the full year. You can't look at Akeem Hicks because he didn't play the full year. Well, yes, you kind of can because he played almost half a year and he was your number one pass rusher. So pretending like him leaving doesn't impact you at all is ridiculous because you'd have to actually take away all the production you got from Khalil Mack while he was there. That, that, that's what they want. They want to steal some of the production that they got from them, say, this is what we were last year without them, which is not true because they were there and they helped contribute. And so now that we added more pieces, we actually get better. No, you'd have to subtract what they did and then add on the new pieces. Of the seven top pass rushers in Chicago, just to kind of continue down this line for any Bears fans that are listening and, and are all hyped up because we're going to be such, we were 13th last year and we got better, so now we're going to be top 10 or whatever nonsense. Of the seven best pass rushers in Chicago, based on win rate, six of them are gone from defensive tackle and uh, edge rushers. Six, I think of the top six run defenders, based on, you know, run stop percentage or whatever, three of them are gone. But again, let me say that one more time. And yeah, some of these guys are, are maybe not the, the ones that played the most, but they still played, they still contributed, and they were still the best. The top seven pass rushers last year, number one, Khalil Mack, gone. Number two, Ladarius Mack, gone. Number, all, tied for number two, Cassius Marsh, gone. Robert Quinn, number four, is still there. Jeremiah Atachu, gone. Akeem Hicks, gone. Sam Kamara, gone. Yeah, but we added Al-Kadin Muhammad. That's true. He would, be, he would not have made it in the top seven. He's below Sam Kamara. He's actually below Travis Gibson. So he didn't replace anybody within the top seven. You added somebody that would still be below that group. It's another thing Bears fans love to say is that their depth is so good. Well, it's because you overrate Al-Kadin Muhammad and Mario Edwards. Mario Edwards, by the way, is behind Al-Kadin Muhammad. 10.9% win rate. Not pressure rate. Win rate. That's kind of garbage, as is Al-Kadin Muhammad's 11.8% win rate. Preston Smith is at like 18%. Rashawn is at 26. Preston is at 18. Zedarius is at 15. Hunter is at 20. Harris is at 17. Aiden, I put at 17. That puts the Bears' two pass rushers as the lowest in the NFL, number one and two at 15 and 13. And now you've got your three and four at what? Um, uh, 11.8 and 10.9. Just because you have people with names doesn't mean they're actually good and that you have a bunch of depth. Julian and Romeo Okwara in Detroit have higher win rates than your two starters. So no, you don't have a better depth. I'm sorry about that. In fact, Jonathan Garvin, 
who was a guy that even Packer fans would be like, nah, he's not that good. He had a higher win rate than Mario Edwards did. 12.1% win rate for Garvin. So again, anybody can have some kind of a big breakout. I mean, 2018 was, was one of those things where everything just gelled so perfectly with the Chicago Bears defense that everything else just kind of worked. But there's no reason to believe that this is going to happen for the Bears because this isn't the unit that's been together for like four years like there was in Chicago with consistent growth every single year that finally gelled into the perfect unit. This is a hodgepodge zombification of a roster where there's been like 80% turnover. Two of your starting positions are rookies, assuming the cornerback is going to win the job. I'm assuming he is. I don't know. The rest of your corners are so trash, I don't know why he wouldn't. But again, just because you have names that are recognizable more so than the Packers do and than, uh, than the Vikings do. By the way, the Vikings' depth is, is the worst of the group. I looked at the depth, the, the, the number one, two, three, or the numbers three and four pass rushers. Detroit is by far the best. Bears and Packers are almost tied. Bears are slightly ahead. And then um, Minnesota is significantly below it. But, you know, Chicago Bears fans want to get themselves all hyped up and jacked up about how good their defense is going to be because they want to ignore how good the guys are that left, ignore the fact that it's going to really hurt to have a bunch of core pieces leaving, including possibly Roquan in, in a very short period of time, and then overhype the newness of things, right? We got a new uh, head coach who's a defensive coordinator, and his defenses have been real good. You know who is a better defensive coordinator? Mike Pettin. They love talking about how he's had uh, perennial top 10 defenses. Perennial as in, like, usually in a lot of his defenses were top 10. No, Mike Pettin was every year via DVOA, every year ever that he was a defensive coordinator, top 10 every single year. He came to Green Bay and that didn't happen anymore. So there are no guarantees. You don't just get to snap your fingers and say, hey, this guy was good, therefore everything's going to be perfect. We've seen that a billion times. It doesn't just translate one-to-one. Beyond that, he's the head coach, not the defensive coordinator. You have to actually look at your defensive coordinator. The, the, the head coach is going to bring in, like, this is the scheme, this is how we want things done. He's clearly going to have a lot of input on it, but it's not the same thing. He can't dedicate all his time to the defense. He's not going to be calling plays, by the way, for the defense. He's not. He can't. If he is, the rest of the team is going to suffer quite a bit. That's on the defensive coordinator to make that work. So anyways, the, the bottom line is there's there's no question about how this stacks up. And, and people can say all kinds of stupid stuff, and they can try to make up fake narratives, and that's fine if you want to believe um, and, and take... I mean, it, it's really just leaps of faith which you're allowed to do when everything's brand new. We have new coach, new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, um, complete, completely new roster. Um, of the guys that aren't new, there's a bunch of second-year guys like Justin Fields, our, head, our, our quarterback. So, I mean, we, we can just pretty much make up whatever narrative we want because anything's possible. But there's no objective data to look at to make the Bears impressive. There isn't. There's fake, fanciful, fanciful narratives, stories, fairy tales. And and really when it comes to pass rush, the Vikings aren't that much different. Daniel, I mean, Daniel Hunter is a good pass rusher. There's no question. And, and if we do expect regression from Rashawn and Preston, which you don't have to, but I do, then Daniel is, is number one or number two in the NFL. But Zadarius is being overhyped. He had one really good out of this world year, uh, out of this world year. Yeah, that's the right thing to say. In 2019. It was a year that will never be replicated and never was replicated. And he followed that up with a subpar season. Now, fortunately for him, he still kept his sack numbers relatively high, so it kind of flew under the radar. He went from 18 to 14 sacks, so it didn't seem all that, that horrible. But he went from 105 pressures down to 59 pressures, almost cut in half, with 
basically the exact same number of of total uh, plays. In fact, it was actually more pass rush reps, 612 to 594. But again, the sack rate went through the roof, so it looks like it wasn't that big of a drop-off when really it kind of was. And by the way, his run defense plummeted from a 76 overall grade to a 61. And to be honest, his 61.5 overall grade is still one of the highest in his career. He's been a terrible run defender in his entire career. So I'm not saying he's a bad pass rusher because he's not. I think it'll be somewhere in between 2019 and 2020 probably. I wouldn't be surprised if he's 12-13% pressure rate, which is about what I expect from Preston. But under no circumstances do I think Zadarius, coming off an injury at 30 years old on a brand new team, is going to find the same amount of success that he did with the Green Bay Packers. And by the way, the Packers brought in a bunch of guys because they wanted to put Zadarius on a snap count to try to preserve his health. Do you think Minnesota's going to do that? If they don't, he's not going to make it, and his numbers are not going to be anywhere near as high as they should be. If they do, now they got to lean on that depth, which I've just told you is the worst of the NFC North. The guys behind Zadarius and Hunter are not good. And this doesn't even address, again, the whole issue of, is Daniil going to be standing up, and how is that going to go? Maybe he's going to be great at it, but I don't know why nobody wants to talk about it. Again, I fully understand he's going to be, you know, hand in the dirt a lot of the time, but he's still going to have to stand up, and he's never done it before. Well, we're going to use some 4-3, some 3-4. Yeah, I know every defense in the NFL does that. At least 3-4 defenses have have 4-3 incorporated into it, of course. Still. So you got a 30-year-old broke back Zadarius Smith, who is either going to be on a snap count or is not, which is going to be pretty bad for him. You've got Daniil in a brand new role, also coming off injuries. Not as old, but but he's got some injury issues recently. He also had, I believe in 2019, the same year as Zadarius, he also had a really freakish peak year that kind of overinflated his value. Again, he's good, but he's not as good as he was when we saw him in 2018 and he dominated the league. Zadarius and Daniil were like number one and number two in the NFL. But that's not who they are. That was, that was a one-year one-off. That's not happening again. And when you add to that the defensive tackles, who are not the worst, but are not certainly not dominant by any stretch, especially as pass rushers, I don't know that they have a bunch. Barr is gone. Kendricks is still there. He's over 30. He had his two good years of relevance and then fell back off. Again, I've been, I've been picking on him forever for getting all this credit and his grades over the first four years 59 68 67 64 and through all that time everyone he's so good he's amazing he's the bet that similar to like Roquan it's like okay if you say so but he's not then he has a 90.1 overall grade second best linebacker and I'm like all right well that was that was amazing but he probably won't do that again and then he was third in the NFL he went from second to third with an 82.6 overall so I was like all right I guess the dude's good and then he went back to 59 which is the lowest he actually tied the lowest grade of his entire career, which was his rookie year. So I don't buy too much into Kendricks to begin with. There's really no other linebackers that are any good on the team. Jordan Hicks is horrible. You drafted Brian Asamoah in the third round. If you think that's going to be something great, then cool, I guess. You drafted Scene, which is seemingly great, but here's the problem. He is a Harrison Smith replacement eventually. Harrison Smith is still on the team. Well, he can go next to Smith and and then you got a great duo. Cam Bynum, you drafted last year, he had a great year as a rookie. I know he didn't play a ton, but he graded out phenomenally. So you're, you're just moving a talented rookie, a talented second-year guy, and you're saying, okay, you don't get to play anymore, and then we put Scene in there, and we hope that Scene can be as good as Bynum was. That's not an upgrade. Or you just put him on the bench and he doesn't play. Either way, there's no real upgrade there to your defense. The biggest upgrade would be Booth. 
But where's Booth going to go? Cam Dantzler's quite good. Are you just going to kick uh, Patrick Peterson off the team? I mean, I wouldn't think it's the worst thing in the world at 32 and a half years old. Maybe you do kick him off the team. I don't know. But how much better than Peterson is he going to be? And you lose that sort of veteran presence there. Peterson had a 63 overall grade. Again, the top corners last year who were rookies were about 63, kind of in that range. That's kind of what you expect from a, a pretty good performance from a rookie cornerback. That was Stokes and, uh, and Sertan. Newsom had a 68 overall grade. Uh, J.C. Horn had a 67 overall grade. Stokes, 65. Sertan, 66. Paulson Adebo, 60. Right? These, these are the early drafted rookies and how they did in their rookie year. And again, there's every reason to believe that their optimism for Sertan is through the roof, for Stokes is through the roof. I'm sure Panthers fans are excited about J.C. Horn, and I'm sure Browns fans are excited about Greg Newsom as they should be. But the point is, a good performance from a rookie is in like the 60s, which is what Patrick Peterson already is, and you, again, lose the veteran presence. So I don't know that that's a massive upgrade to your team, even if he performs quite well. So I'm just, I'm not massively impressed by the Bears' defense, the Vikings' defense, and the Lions' defense is a flat-out joke. Now, again, pass rushers are not bad. Um, I would say underrated. Harris, who, you know, again, I don't think anybody even knows the guy's name, 68 overall grade, Charles Harris. I mean, he was a first-round pick a while ago, but point is, as far as his pressure rates, solid. Aiden Hutchinson, great reports so far. The Oquaras, and I know one of them is on Pup or whatever. I don't know when he's coming back, but the Oquaras, quite good pass rushers. Run defense is a whole other issue, but pass rush, it's there. Here's the issue, though. These are the worst defensive tackles in the NFL and maybe the worst linebackers in the NFL, and I'm sorry. I know you're all jacked up about you know, maybe Jeff Okuda wins the job and, and maybe he's looking real good and all that. Amani Aroarie, who is the clear number one, is not a good football player. He had a 59 overall grade and ranked 79th. As of right now, from the best I can tell, Okuda is losing his job to a former safety by the name of Harris, who had a 42 overall grade last year. Your corners, your defensive tackles, your linebackers are a complete joke. And your safeties, also not good. This is a pathetic pathetic defense. The Packers have by far the best defensive tackles in the league. They have arguably the best pass rushers. I mean, based on last year, it's not even close. We'll have to see what Hutchinson and Harris do. We'll have to see how the Vikings guys pan out. We'll have to see if Gary and Smith regress. But as of right now, the pass rushers and the defensive tackles, it's not close. Corners, it's not close. Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, Razul Douglas, not close. Jair is the clear number one in the entire NFC North. Razul Douglas ranked 16th last year. And again, Stokes, 65 overall grade as a rookie, but that's pretty good for a rookie. He ranked 45th, and that's like our third best corner. And the Packers made him the clear outside guy. They, they weren't looking at it going, let's make it Jair and Razul. And, you know, Stokes, I don't know, he's not really cutting it. No, no, no. Razul got shot inside real fast. Sorry, dude, if you want to stay, you're a slot guy. Sorry, that's just the way it goes. Stokes, you won the job. Congratulations. Linebackers? Again, not close. Devondre Campbell was the second best linebacker in football, and we drafted Quay Walker. And then safeties, yeah, I don't know if we're necessarily, we're clearly better than the Lions. I would say clearly better than the Bears, although Bears fans would probably disagree because they think way too highly of Eddie Jackson, although they're clearly coming around to that. But they also think way too highly of Jaquan Brisker. Here's the problem. Adrian Amos is way better than Eddie Jackson. And if you think Jaquan Brisker is going to come in as a rookie and be better than Adrian Amos, you're kidding yourself. And I honestly would be stunned if Savage doesn't take a step forward. 
in year two of the system, because that's exactly what he did with Mike Pettin. First year was rough. Second year, he started to get it, and he had a great year. Second year in the system, which is a very complex system for safeties, I definitely expect some better production from Savage. On top of the fact that some of the worst things we saw from Savage were, for example, against Baltimore when he was covering the tight ends. I believe Walker was brought in specifically for that reason, to kind of take some of the weight off of guys like Savage. We had no ability to cover, to cover tight ends last year. We've ch- revamped the entire defense to get away from using a safety in that second linebacker role so that now we can use the two linebackers. It's going to change the fabric of how things are done here. And I think that's going to help Darnell Savage, as well as just about everybody else. So, you know, let people run with whatever narratives they want. It's fun. It's just going to make things more disappointing when the season starts and things don't go exactly as everyone had planned. And so again, thank you very much to Bears Twitter for overhyping your own guys because it reminded me of that little project I had done. And I thought I'd better check it out and see uh, where everybody stands with the pass rushing in particular. There's a lot more to football than just rushing the passer, but I wanted to look into that and um, it's all good news. It's all good news. Anyways, just wanted to run through that with you. Um, We do have a game today. We should probably talk about that. Maybe some other stuff. Maybe not. I don't know. You just never know, man. However, what I do know is that I am massively, greatly thankful to Justin Bedelian and Jim Hessel for jumping in on the Patreons. Super duper fantastic. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We are one away from 240 patrons. We still have a decent chunk of people that are leaving, so we're not gaining quite as fast as as it sounds like with all the thank yous. But we are making progress. We're regaining some of the losses, and I really appreciate all the support. Again, if you have any thoughts on what it would take, hey, if you did a little bit of this, a little bit of that, I'd be happy to join in, that kind of thing. But anyways, um, I feel like I should up the ante a little bit. Last year, I had a really unrealistic goal with an unrealistic prize attached to it. So let's do that again this year. If we get to 300 patrons before week one of the NFL season, somebody's getting Packers tickets. How's that sound? Can't promise you good ones, but I can promise you Packers tickets. So three weeks and three days. That's what we got. And again, a buck a month is all it's going to cost. Anyways, why don't we take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so a couple things. Let's first of all, well, I want to I want to address this first because apparently it's a thing. I, I don't know why it's such a big deal. Aaron Rodgers came out and critiqued the Green Bay Packers wide receivers for, well, I mean, it's not just the wide receivers, but wide receivers in particular, I guess, for making simple mistakes. I don't, I, I don't know when this became controversial. Aaron Rodgers has always done this, and to be honest, it was pretty tame um, compared to the way he laid into MVS and Equinemius and Jamon Moore. This was extremely tame. He basically flat out called those guys idiots. Um, in this case, he said, kind of been the theme of camp, simple, simple plays we're messing up. And people want to go on and blame Aaron Rodgers and everybody. I, I don't know what it is about not wanting to lay accountability on the hands of people who are actually responsible for it. Romeo Dobbs is responsible for understanding the offense. Not Aaron Rodgers, not Matt LaFleur. All they can do is explain it to you. Here's the information, here's what you need to do. And then when you mess up, I tell you again. And the whole point of this is, you messed up, I corrected you, I never want to see it again, and they keep doing it. And the other thing is, he says it's really simple things. It's not like, well, this is super complex, they need time. We're talking about basic things that they should understand, and they're just not able to grasp it. So yeah, Aaron Rodgers has every reason to be frustrated, to show frustration, to be honest. And the idea that, you know, I'm, I'm so tired of this, just how unbelievably soft everybody is. It's crazy. We only want positive. We only want positive reinforcement. Only be nice, 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 nice. Even if things aren't good, that's, you know, if I go on Twitter right now, I, I, I talked a lot about the, uh, the tweet I had about Romeo and his drops. He had a drop, and, and everybody lost their mind. I had a tweet almost simultaneously, maybe like two minutes before, about how great of a catch he made, and it blew up. It was super positive. I, I, TJ Slayton, everybody loved it. Everybody's gushing over that. Nobody's fighting me on it, but if you just point out one obvious... I, I pointed out a drop on a video that showed him dropping a pass. It's not like it's a controversial opinion. It's a, I'm stating a fact. And everybody lost their ever-loving minds. What is the benefit of not addressing problems? You, you do understand that if, if these things don't get better, we don't have a good football team to root for. Do you want to have a good football team, or do you just want everything to be nice? I want a good football team. You might want to live in a perfect world where there's only nicey-nicey-nice, and everybody's just nicey-nicey-nice together, and the whole world collapses in on itself in decay but at least we're all nice to each other. Or we see and address problems as they arise. I mean, if a kid comes home with straight D's on their report card, you're not going to get on the phone and start cursing out the teacher. You're not going to start yelling at the other classmates for not positively reinforcing your child. At least you shouldn't do that. But that's what we want to do for all these young receivers. We're going to blame the coaches. We're going to blame the other players on the team, like Aaron Rodgers, for not properly you know, getting them where they need to be. It's your fault. How dare you say anything about it? It's ridiculous. 
Anyways, in response to this, rookie receiver Samori Ture said, we definitely took it to heart as young receivers were always looking for ways to get better. Um, when the quarterback tells us to rise to the occasion, that's what we got to do. You know why? Because they're grown men and they can handle it. The fan base can't. <gasps> How dare you say that to Samori Ture? How dare you say that to Romeo Dobbs? They're messing up and they're doing stupid stuff. I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't get it. What do you want Rodgers to do? Oh, that's okay. I don't care. You want him to not care? Is that it? You want him to not be passionate? You want him to not expect and demand? This is on the podcast last night, the first caller for Packernet After Dark. Uh, we played a clip of Demario Davis talking about how the defense and the coaches and what they expect from themselves. Nothing is ever good enough. That's the mentality. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. I forget what the quote was, but it was something the happiness is the enemy of a great defense, or happy is the enemy of a great defense. In other words, just simply being happy with where you're at is going to prevent you from being great. We want everything to be happy when things are horrible. I don't understand that. The point is, great players are never satisfied, even when they're great. They can be great, and they still look at it and say, that's not good enough. The fan base, at large, seemingly, wants the exact opposite. They want to look at people not doing well and to say, that's good enough. That's perfect. You're great. You'll figure it out. It's no big deal. I'm sorry, that's stupid. There's an article here uh, that kind of highlights this whole process and what happened, uh, written by Matt Schneidman of The Athletic. Wide receivers coach Jason Vrabel wanted the receivers to meet with Rodgers. Rookie wideout Romeo Dobbs said, so that's what they did early Wednesday morning. The meeting included all the receivers, all three quarterbacks, and a select offense and select offensive coaches. Rodgers took the lead after such a disappointing practice on Tuesday. Veteran wideouts Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb spoke too, which is important because some people want to pretend like it's everybody's messing up. We're really just talking about like Dobbs and Ture here. That's really it. They keep hiding behind like, well, the young receivers and certain receivers and the receivers and I'm sorry there, there's two young receivers I mean Christian Watson isn't really doing anything yet maybe he's messing up simple stuff in the classroom but it's, it's Dobbs and Turay. that's it and and I guess Hyman I don't know veteran Whitehouse Lazard and Cobb spoke too because they're the only two in the room with extensive experience playing with back-to-back NFL MVP Rogers spoke about Tuesday's practice the little things that need to improve, and what he expects from his wide receivers accompanied by a film session. Again, the idea that he's not being a leader because he's being mean is stupid. This is what being a leader is. It's about correcting problems and to actually schedule separate time, his own time. Like, I'm not going home. I'm going to stay here, and I want the receivers brought in front of me, and I'm going to talk to them, and I want the wide receivers to talk to them, and then we're going to go over here and we're going to do a film session. It was the first such meeting of training camp, Ture said, but one that reiterated points coaches have been preaching to wide receivers all summer. It's been happening all summer. Again, the idea that this is why Rodgers needed to be there. No, no, no. They've heard this a thousand times. He just said they're re- he's just reiterating points that they already should know by now. Ture said, quote, basically letting us know the Green Bay receiving core has always been held to a super high standard. It's like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, if not the greatest. Like I said, you got to take it to heart. He's a team leader. He definitely, uh, he's definitely a voice that we listen to. Cobb added, quote, it's making sure they understand the opportunity they have and not letting it squander away, making sure they're focused on the little details and everything that we do and seeing the full picture. It's not always about your route and what you have. It's how you fit into the play concept and being in the right place at the right time. 
Quote, it's a lot of the same things we've been saying in our meetings. When you hear it from a guy who's throwing a ball, it comes out a little bit different. It was great to see them respond and make some plays today. Uh, Romeo Dobbs was asked about his drop issues. He says, no, it's not a big deal. I know I can catch the football. I know I'm confident enough with the hands I have. And again, this was not an issue for him in college, which is the biggest thing that gives me confidence. This is a weird little blip. It's just the fact that it's been happening so consistently for so long. But I am glad to hear that he has confidence because that's a big reason for drops is a lack of confidence. And maybe he does have a lack of confidence and he's just kind of, you know, lying <laughs> about this part. But it's it's at least good to hear him say it. Uh, he kind of lays out everything that happened in training camp. I'm not going to reiterate that, all the plays and how it was positive. There were some negatives. Rodgers was angry and pointing fingers and stuff, but seemed to be a little bit better. But anyways, that that was the main thing that I wanted to bring up. And, and, and I didn't really feel the need to bring it up until I saw how serious of a of an issue this is becoming. And, and it's not just within Packer fans. I mean, people outside of Green Bay are trying to blow this up into a giant deal. And I, I don't see why it is. Aaron Rodgers is so mad at the wide receivers. No, he's not. I mean, it was, it was a pretty straightforward thing. Like, you guys are making silly mistakes and it has to stop. It's basic. It's not, you know, furious. It's not, uh, it, 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 it's nothing. But it, it just seems like they're so desperate to have Rodgers drama. And there really hasn't been any. And they're, they're just using this as a complete launching off point. But I'm looking at it going, there's, there's nothing here. This is really simple stuff. So I, I, I don't know. I, I guess the biggest thing is don't get sucked into that. And you got to stop with the nonsense about he should just be nice all the time because it's so stupid. Anyways, um, about today's game. Oh, what is this? Uh, NFL and NFLPA have reached a settlement in the Deshaun Watson case. Watson has suspended 11 games and will receive a $5 million fine. Watson will also undergo a treatment program. $5 million. That's like me paying 40 bucks. <laughs> Not quite, but still. Well, I guess if you look at it from a quality of life standpoint, it is about 40 bucks probably. Uh, anyways, about the game, very quickly. We already kind of went through yesterday or the day before about what I'd like to see from each player, so we don't really need to go into all that stuff. I do want to look back at something, though, before we get moving on, and I, I kind of messed this up. I said, who would be the star of preseason? So we'll have to hang on to this one. I think I just was trying to say week one, but I said the whole star of preseason. But just so we're clear, just as a reminder, Josh Myers was the winner of the preseason. I asked everybody who they thought the top guy would be, and I'm, I'm going to hold on to this so you guys all, nobody's officially out of this, out of the running yet, but nobody said Josh Myers. Amari Rogers, Jordan Love, Tyler Davis, Goodson, Winfrey, Quay, Romeo, Zach Tom, Juwan Winfrey, Goodson, and Yash were the answers on Patreon. So far, and I just asked the question recently, so we'll have a few more that are filled in, try to get in there, but who will be the top player in week two via Patreon? Goose says an Agbar. John Lambing says love will surprise us all. Aaron Nelson says Ahmed. I actually didn't even look at that, but I'll have to make sure to do that because now we got a special teamer. That's that's going to be tough. I don't think I've ever seen a kicker get like a 90 overall grade. He'd have to bang a bunch of 60 yarders or something. But uh, I guess, you know, he's probably not thinking PFF, just guys who will have good days. It says Ahmed. He'll actually make a field goal. I know, high expectations, but gut feeling. Uh, Jack918. Says, Watson, if he plays, I don't think he's going to. I really hope he does. Uh, but I, I, I love the confidence either way. And then Edward Stevens says, Goodson. So those are, we're still waiting on a winner. In fact, I'm trying to think, I don't even know who was close this past time. I know Zach Tom was real good. Uh, he was the third best player on the team. So that would have been the closest to correct is Goose, who said Zach Tom. And this time he's saying an Agbar. So we'll see if Goose can go two for two here. 
Anyways, we got a, a couple of week two hot takes also. Goose says, Love is about to go 250 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. I think that's reasonable. Let me, let me look at this again real quick. Again, he had 176, two touchdowns and three interceptions. If you take away the garbage interceptions, you're looking at about one, right? Technically, you could take away all three because they're all three kind of fluky, but you also kind of figure, you know, if you replay all three again, maybe one of them gets picked again. So one kind of makes sense. And again, if you add in one of those big touchdowns, he's at 253 touchdowns and a pick, basically. So uh, it's all there for the taking. I am curious about the Saints' defense. Are they going to be playing their starters? If so, how long? And, and I guess the question is, how good are their backups? Because that, that defense was giving us a real hard time. Although Jordan Love really rose to the occasion. This past training camp, he was the only one. Everybody else on, on the offense was really struggling, but Jordan Love rose to the occasion and was pretty dominant. I know he's going up against twos and Rodgers going up against ones, but Rodgers couldn't do very much. Jordan Love didn't have too much issue. So anyways, that's his first part. He says the offensive line is going to kill it pass blocking. Again, that's going to be tough. I mean, they did a great job last week, but we've already seen in training camp that they've been getting, they've been getting wrecked. So my prediction would be they're not going to hold up nearly as well as they did last week, but I hope I'm wrong. Black Lightning and Amari are going to torch the Saints. He's loving this offense. Um, again, I'm not exactly with you on that. Maybe Black Lightning, not Amari, but I hope I'm wrong. Our D is going to get four sacks and a turnover along with holding the Aints to less than 21. I think I'm on board with less than 21. We basically did that to, I mean, the 49ers got basically two touchdowns on garbage, right? Which, I mean, garbage can happen again. But I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Our defense completely shut down their offense. First string, second string, third string, didn't really matter. They couldn't do anything. Um, four sacks. We had three last week, so I think that's fair. Although it's going to be hard to replicate that. The only, the only real positive I can see is if Devontae Wyatt is playing, and I really hope he is. I haven't heard anything about Wyatt in a long time, basically since he had that concussion. I don't know if he's even been out there. Um, and I hope this isn't a long-term thing for him. But... That would help, because outside of, of uh, TJ Slayton, I don't know that we had a lot of really productive pass rushers. I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I, I meant on the interior. The, the Kingsley was solid. Kobe Jones, uh, also fairly productive. And we'll see about Tipa, too, because it looked like he was on a tear, and then he ended up getting hurt. So, all right, I can get behind four sacks. The turnovers are always fluky, but you'd think we'd have to get one, right? We, don't, we have zero so far on the board. There were three pass breakups, so the guys are there. The guys are there. They're swarming. Good defense. We got guys like Lowry that are always getting tip passes and everything else. The defensive line. I think they're due for one. Fingers crossed for Quay on that. Catches a tip pass. Um, Jack918 says the starting offensive line won't give up a sack. I'm going to go ahead and be all the way out on that. But again, they were um, really, really surprising last week and did not give up a sack last week. I'm I'm just I'm just going based off of how good the Saints defense is looking. But again, I if they don't play any of their starters, then it's a completely different ball game. We we completely wrecked their offense as well, but again, you pull Kenny, you pull Jaron Reed, you pull Dean Lowry, you pull Rashawn, you pull Preston. I mean, it's a, it's a whole different ordeal. So, we'll see. I'm I'm fingers crossed that they can they can replicate that again, but I'm I'm going to guess there's at least a sack in this game. Aaron Nelson's hot take is that Adam Schefter doesn't come up with some stupid article about Aaron Rodgers with a very misleading headline about his leadership. I'm clearly out on that one. Um, Schefter cannot 
cannot not do that. And then finally, at Edward Stevens says, Packers total 200 rushing yards. Love drops three touchdowns before halftime. I'm with the three touchdowns. I don't think it's going to happen before halftime, especially if they have, you know, starters or they're better players for like a quarter or something, which again, they, they may not, probably won't. I don't know. But let me look actually at um, the Saints. I should probably pause this. You don't have to... Why can't I? It's New Orleans, because I'm looking for Saints, which is S, but it's New Orleans. All right, let's see what players made plays. Um, any starters here? Doesn't look like it. If I'm looking at their edge rushers. I don't see any other stud edge rushers. Defensive tackles, I don't really see anything. Corners, um, they did have Chauncey Gardner-Johnson played a couple snaps. Paulson Adebo played a couple snaps. So maybe some, but I, I don't think... Like, Cam Jordan wasn't out there. Marcus Davenport was not out there. Tyron Matthew wasn't out there. Marcus May wasn't out there. Marshawn Lattimore wasn't out there. So some of the starters, Shy Tuttle, the defensive tackle, sounds like they kind of pick and choose who's who's uh, valuable and who's not, whereas the Packers are just like, if you're a starter, you don't play. Just sit down. But anyways, that's all she wrote. Make sure you uh, come check out, come hang out with us. I'm going to be doing a live stream. Don't know who's going to be joining me. I will offer and extend an invitation to anybody on the team that uh, wants to join. You can pop in, pop out, whatever they want. So you can find that on Twitter, on YouTube. Every sing- So <laughs> one of the things that's funny is, I don't know where it is, if it's on YouTube or what, there's a tweet that goes out that says, Pack Daddy NFL is live. I think that comes from YouTube. I don't know. And then somebody on Twitter will say, where? It's like, first of all, literally on Twitter. Second of all, YouTube. Third of all, Facebook. Pretty much anywhere where I stream video is where it is. So. If you want to hang out, we'll be there. But you guys have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow for a recap of the game. Take it easy. Bye-bye.